0: Welcome back to Balanced Black Girl. I appreciate you joining me today. So if you're new to listening to the podcast, we produce episodes in series. That means that we will group episodes together, examining a central topic or theme. And right now we're talking about business baby, discussing the entrepreneurial experience from the perspectives of different black women. Now, Black women have been the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in the U.S. for the past few years, with 17% of us in the process of starting new businesses. However, when it comes to founding and growing businesses, capital is really important. According to J.P. Morgan, 61% of Black women entrepreneurs are self-funding their own businesses, which can be a good way to get started. But as you're trying to grow in scale, it can be really challenging if your own funds or if revenue can't keep up with your goals or what's needed to run the business. But getting access to outside funding isn't without its own challenges as well. Now, black founders are three times more likely to be rejected when applying for funding. And in 2020, less than 100 black women raised $1 million or more in venture capital for their businesses. Now, this is despite 2020 being a record-breaking year for venture capital investment. There were record-breaking amounts of money being invested in businesses, but less than 100 black women got $1 million or more, which is actually pretty small in the VC world. So what are we supposed to do, right? Because I really like having this be a very solution-oriented space. So how can we bring our ideas to life without draining our personal resources? How can we use other people's money to make our ideas come to life? That is what we're talking about in today's episode. Our guest is Catherine Finney, and Catherine is the founder and managing general partner of Genius Guild, a $20 million venture fund that builds and invests in scalable companies led by diverse founders. She's also the founder of the Dooney Fund, the founder and past CEO of Digital Undivided, mastermind of the widely acclaimed Project Diane Research, and a Yale trained epidemiologist. Okay. The resume is long. (laughs) Selling her lifestyle company, the budget fastinista made Catherine one of the first black women to have a successful startup exit. And I mean, this was about a decade ago, truly unheard of at the time. Incredible. Earlier this year, she released Build the Damn Thing, How to Start a Successful Business If You're Not a Rich White Guy to Help Entrepreneurs Fund and Scale Their Businesses. It is a fantastic read. I read the book, Preparing for This Conversation with Catherine. And if you're at all interested in starting or running your own business, I highly recommend you check out the book as well. We have it linked in the show notes, and we're going to chat more about the book in this conversation. Catherine is so knowledgeable, and I love how open she is in sharing what she's learned as an entrepreneur and VC who's been on both sides of the deal. This interview is an important conversation about funding our ideas so that we can bring them to life. So let's get into it. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Oh, my goodness. It is my pleasure. You know, right now on the podcast, talking all about business. I cannot think of a, a better guest to get to include in this series, just with all that you've done, all that you continue to do to help those of us who are underrepresented in business, kind of build our dreams and, and build our things. I'm, I'm really excited to have you. Thanks. I'm excited to share. Definitely. So earlier this year, you came out with a fantastic book called Build the Damn Thing, which I love because I'm all about super mm. specific, like tactical information I'm I'm like, okay, tell me what to do. Tell me what steps to take. And I love that it is like a step-by-step, here's how to create your business, here's how to build and get your product out into the world. And one of the things that really stuck out to me as I was reading the book was that you talked about two different groups of founders. You have your builders and you have your entitleds. And I'd love to talk a bit about the differences between those two groups and how their experiences in business differ.
1: Yeah, you know, entitles are those for whom this space was created. So when Venture Capital in particular and the what we now know as the modern startup world was created, it was really in the nineteen late nineteen forties, nineteen fifties in Silicon Valley. It came out of really the defense movement. Post-World War II, all these technologies that were created for war were now being commercialized. And a lot of it was coming out of Silicon Valley. And so Different forms of capital were created, in this case venture capital, to be able to fund these sort of high growth, fast moving tech companies that didn't necessarily have physical assets to be able to get loans, which is how traditionally businesses were able to get get money. And those people who were participating at that time were pretty much all white men. So the whole entire sort of startup world was created by white men to fund other white men. They're the entitled. Here comes on builders and builders are really anyone that isn't, you know, a wealthy white man, you know, started to build companies and it became very difficult because again, the system was created from its inception for a very specific type of entrepreneur and to help them in a very specific way. And So you have builders coming, people of color, women, people who were, may have been white, but maybe didn't come from the same uh, social economic classes as those who had created the space. And it was very hard to break in. It was very hard to get funding because you didn't have the networks, you didn't have the connections. And so you had to build everything from scratch. You had to build your network from scratch. You had to build your knowledge from scratch, everything from scratch, because it wasn't readily available for you because you weren't part of the original group of people it was created for. And so that's how builders and entitleds are, are different. Mm-hmm. Builders, we have to build it. We have to build every aspect, not just our company, our networks, our knowledge base, our communities many times, um, because we don't have an existing infrastructure to come into. And, and that takes time and it takes effort. And it also makes it hard to do that and build a company because Entitles can just focus on building their company right, and building out their idea. We have to build our idea and all these other things as well.
0: Yes. Yes. And I think the word build, I know that you're very intentional about using that because that's truly, mm-hmm. that's truly what it is, whether you're building a product, building your mindset, building your team. I think it's, it's really important that we kind of understand that when we decide that we want to start a business or that we want to launch something and understanding what that entails.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're building, you're building and you're creating. You know, entrepreneurship is tough. It's not easy. It's actually, in many ways, you could even say it's a little bit illogical, right? <laughs> um, you're taking this great risk. But those of us who are entrepreneurs really look at entrepreneurship as a tool. Mm-hmm. It allows us to live a creative life in which we can control. It allows us to have certain leadway in our lives that would be very difficult to have in other situations. You know, this summer I went away for a month to Italy and Greece. Now, if I was working for a corporation, that would be virtually impossible to do. But because I work for myself and because I'm the CEO of my own company, I could do that. I could create a workflow for which allowed me to do that. And so, and that's the benefits of entrepreneurship is that you do have this freedom to control what you do and what you don't want to do in the spaces you want to be in the spaces you don't want to be in.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'd love to piggyback off of that and talk a little bit more about what it takes to get there because I think for a lot of people who pursue entrepreneurship, that is like that benefit of being able to build and design and create this lifestyle that you have more control over is a big part of why people want to do it. And I think sometimes when people get started, when it's not immediately that way, it can be really discouraging. (laughs) Uh, What has your experience been like getting to that point?
1: You know, entrepreneurship is a marathon. It is not a race. It doesn't happen overnight. Oprah didn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if you look at most major tech companies from Facebook to other big companies, it took them seven years before they were IPO, before they went on the market, some even 10 years. And so what you think is an overnight success, because you're just now starting to hear media about them, have been around for years in this case. You know, Facebook has been around for almost 20 years now. And so I think people, because of this hyper marketing environment we're in, people tend to like think that it's just going to be like tomorrow, you're going to be a success. It takes a minute. It takes a minute. And so you need to make sure that you have a runway, particularly when you're a builder and you don't have a safety net. You have to make sure that you are really thinking about your finances. In the book, I call it exit number. Like what is the number and amount of money your business needs to make in order for you to be able to live? Fairly comfortably, whatever way you define comfortably, because in the book, I purposely don't put a definition on what comfort is, because that latte that you have each morning might be the thing that helps you connect with others. And it might be very, very important to your emotional and mental and health. So I would never put a, you know, people get rid of the latte, do this. (laughs) no. What is it that you need to be able to keep moving forward in your business and to maintain the relationships around you? And that's the number and coming up with that number. And when your side gig, which hopefully will become your full-time gig, reaches that number for you know, a few consecutive months, then you know that you can move on to it full-time without the same level of risk of, as if you just kind of like left your day job. I don't actually advocate for that. Um, because again, for builders, many of us don't have social safety nets and it could be a real financial risk for us. So we do need to know a little bit more with a, maybe a little bit more certainty that whatever we're building is going to work.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love that you mentioned that, that for us builders, because my my audience is predominantly Black women and you know, Black women are one of the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs right now, which is also mm-hmm. super exciting. But with that in mind, we do have different... Risk tolerances. And so understanding what our risk tolerance is and not comparing that to someone else's is really important.
1: I think, you know, we are risk takers, but there are consequences to our risk taking. Mm-hmm. And I think other groups don't have to think about the consequences to their risk taking yeah. because they have that social safety net and many times the economic safety net. And so when you have an economic safety net and you have a social safety net, then you can be a little bit bolder. But when you don't or when you're the first generation that's actually creating the social safety Mm -hmm. net, um, which many of us are a part of, we're the first generation creating the net. So those who are coming after us hopefully will be able to take more of a risk it makes it a little bit difficult. There are structural reasons why we cannot be as risky as as white guys. But that doesn't mean that we don't have great ideas and we don't know how to operationalize things and build great companies. It just means that the way we think
0: about it has to be different. Yeah, definitely, that we take a slightly different approach. What are some of the most common either kind of pitfalls or maybe missteps that you see builders, particularly black and brown women make when it comes to business? And how can we avoid that? Mm, Well, I think
1: one, you know, thinking that you have to code, particularly in the startup Mm -hmm. space, and there's so many like no code, low code solutions like Squarespace and Wix and others that you can build a pretty sophisticated company within a yeah. day without having any sort of coders. So that's one big one. I think another that you have to be, that you have to have gone to like a certain type of school in order to, to be able to do this. And I don't think this is as much of a concern as it was in the past. You really don't. Like the network is, is kind of open now. And I think particularly as an investor, I'm always looking for opportunities in places other people can't mm-hmm. see. And so you not going to an Ivy League school is actually great for someone like me, because I'm like, I want to invest in people who come from these other networks. And then some of the others, I think in particular with black people, I say this as someone who's, as I say, I've been black my entire (laughs) life. We have a tendency to be really afraid of our ideas being stolen. Mm -hmm. And there's a historical reason for that, right? Like we we know it it comes from real trauma. It's not fake. However, it makes it really difficult to participate in any sort of fast growth entrepreneurial space because you have to let your idea out there in order to find out if anybody actually wants mm-hmm. it. And you can't do that if you hold on to it tight. And you're not going to be able to build anything successful and large scale by yourself. You will need to engage other people, and they're going to need to know what your idea is about. And so, I see that as a real challenge with our community and, again, understanding where the trauma comes from, but it doesn't lend itself to really successfully participating
0: in this space. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And are there things that we can do to better protect our ideas as we bring people on to help us? How do we kind of find that middle ground?
1: You know, ideas, I guarantee that you're not the only one who had the idea. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard for people to hear. But I'm saying this as someone who sits at a more global level. I see a bunch of ideas. We see thousands of ideas coming in. You are not the only one to do it. Mm-hmm. So don't focus on protecting an idea. Focus on executing. Because that's how you protect yourself is your ability mm-hmm. to execute on the idea, the ability to capture customers, the ability to actually build it. Because there's a lot of people who have ideas but have no idea how to build things. Yeah. That's, those are two separate things. And so well, the best way to protect your idea is to actually build a company mm-hmm. around it and actually execute it and not worry so much about protecting it. I often hear people are like, well, should I trademark it or copyright it? I'm like, you you, you could, but as with any contract or agreement, it's only as good as its ability to be enforced. Mm-hmm. And it's very expensive to enforce patents and trademarks. So you could spend $200,000, you know, trying to enforce this trademark and really may not get any money for it. Or you can spend that $200,000 investing in your business and growing and scaling it. That's really the options that you have.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's such a good point. Taking a quick break from this week's conversation to shout out our sponsor, Open. Open is a digital mindfulness platform combining breathwork, meditation, and movement, and it's my go-to app to help me get centered. Now, I've used every meditation app you can think of, and I always end up coming back to Open because the content is so fresh and inspiring. Their daily meditations always touch on exactly what I need to hear, and while I've gone through the motions in my fair share of meditations, I've truly felt my practice deepen so much using Open. The guided meditations aren't repetitive and they have a diverse group of teachers constantly releasing new guided meditations. So there's something for everyone. Even if you have a hard time sitting still, you can try one of their five minute meditations or one minute breathwork classes within the app. Even such a short time can make such a huge difference and help you establish a mindfulness habit. Now, in addition to breathwork and meditation, Open also has incredible movement classes. You can take yoga and Pilates all within the app and the classes are excellent. They have wonderful beginner series. So if you've never practiced yoga or never done Pilates, it's an incredible place to learn the basics from the comfort of your own home. And to keep you motivated, Open hosts monthly challenges so you can join their community, invite friends and family, and have a support crew cheering you on along the way. Give yourself the gift of mindfulness and join me on Open. Open is giving Balanced Black Girl listeners 30 days free when you visit open-together.com slash balanced. That's 30 days of unlimited meditation, breathwork, yoga, and Pilates. Again, you can join me on open by going to open-together.com slash balanced. It reminds me a lot of when I started this podcast, I was sitting at my old job and like the idea popped into my head of like, start a podcast, name it Balanced Black Girl, talk about these things. and I immediately like went on Amazon, ordered a microphone, bought the URL, like as soon as the idea popped into my head. Cause I was like, if I don't do Mm -hmm. this right now, someone else is going to do it and launch the podcast, you know, 10 days later. Cause I was like, somebody else is going to do it if I don't do it like right now. And so, yeah, I think that, Just from experience, what you're saying about bringing it out into the world being the best protection is something that rings really true. Especially, you know, if you are going to try to trademark something, you do have to prove that you're using it. You can't prove that you're using it if there's not (laughs) any proof of existence. And buying the
1: the URL and actually using it is—you already get some copyright protection anyway, Mm -hmm. like some copyright trademark protection just through the simple fact that it's in use.
0: yeah.
1: Um, and I think you, you really hit on that. And so don't spend thousands and thousands of dollars for something that will cost you so much money to enforce. I'm not even sure if something's trademark is as scary to people anymore as it used to be, especially mm-hmm. in this global world where it's so easy to like borrow or AKA steal from people. <laughs> right. So like, don't spend your energy on that. Mm-hmm. Spend your energy on building your company and putting it back into your company.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thinking about building and the beginning steps of building one of the parts of the book that I really loved was when you were talking about MVPs or the minimally viable mm-hmm. products. So I would love to talk about that a little bit in case we have listeners who are not familiar with that term and what that looks like, but if they're interested in in business. So can you tell us more about what an MVP is and why it's important when you're starting to build?
1: Yeah, you know i I tell a story in the book about being at Essence Music Festival, mm-hmm. um, and there's a a business part, I was on the panel, and you know, a young black woman came up to me, had a great business idea, and she was like pinching me. And I thought it was it was really amazing. And and two things happened. One, she was again hesitant to share with me. I said, Look, I had to say like, look, sister, I'm I'm telling you this. If I wanted to build it, I could because I have the capital to. If Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it, I I would do it. So don't focus on that. Like, don't Mm -hmm. focus on that. Please, just build a company. And then the second thing was that she had spent like 30K of her own money hiring developers, um, offshore developers to build it. And what she presented to me was very, very similar to existing companies. Mm. There's a number of existing companies. It was like a salon management tool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's existing companies already building in this space and they are like way further ahead than you and they have way more money than you. And and you're not differentiating yourself. There's nothing about you that makes you different. And so she spent thirty K on something without knowing whether or not it was something people want. Mm-hmm. I give this story to say the importance of an MVP is that she would have built a very basic MVP and that it is the simplest thing you can build to get people the opportunity to react to your product. Mm -hmm. It could be a drawing on a napkin. It could be one slide. It could be a quick Squarespace, whatever website. But the goal is that you do not spend, I don't think you should spend more than $100 on your very first MVP. Mm-hmm. And it's good enough that people can react to. And if she had done that, you know, even if it was a scribble on a sheet of paper, anybody who's been in this space would say, oh, this sounds like this. It sounds like, you know, all the different other companies that are out there. But instead, she didn't do that. She went from zero to 60 thinking that that's how you do it in tech and startup world. And that is absolutely not how you build companies in startup world. And she ended up wasting 30K for something that nobody wants. Mm -hmm.
0: That's a hard lesson. Yeah.
1: I was like, I was really, it broke my heart. It really did. Cause I was like, I know even if you just had 30K lying around that you could just like pop off, you know, (laughs) like not many people I know have that. Right. It
0: still would be very painful. Definitely. Yeah. 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 So getting that initial kind of proof of concept before you invest too heavily in it is kind of that first gut check, it sounds like.
1: It's a continuous process. I think sometimes people think when you're building a company, you do this and you're done. Like, no, it's a continuous. The more information you get from customers, from staff, from partners, the more information you absorb, you keep updating, you keep building out your company. Um, until the point where it does start to reach this sort of level of perfection for it. But that's a continuous process because you never, ever reach perfection. Right. So you're always learning. You're always getting new information and you're taking that information and you're always putting it back in your business and changing your business Mm -hmm. as a result.
0: Definitely, definitely. And when we're looking to get some of those initial points of feedback, uh, are there kind of groups that you recommend we do that with, whether that is potential customers or trusted advisors like once we have our mvp who should we get it in front Mm -hmm. of
1: i think trusted advisors are probably the worst people you can ask Mm -hmm. because they're probably not going to tell you the truth Mm -hmm. you need to get it in front of people who don't care about you (laughs)
0: yes right (laughs) yes
1: they don't care about you or your feelings Mm -hmm. they and they're going to be brutally honest but it's from that honesty that you build a better product so don't be afraid of honesty Don't be afraid to be wrong, Mm. especially when you're getting feedback that helps you be right. Mm. And so getting in front of customers, I think, is really important. I like Facebook groups, I think, can be good. If they allow people to post, I think that's a good option. I think going to colleges and university campuses and kind of canvassing Um, I think all of those, they call it customer discovery is what this process is called, where you're figuring out what it is that your customer wants or even whether or not they actually want what you're doing. It might even be a basic question of we don't need this. Mm -hmm. And so your goal is to figure that out and then take that information, make your product better and then go back out again and take that information and make your product better. Then go back out again. And, you know, in the cycle that helps you get to this point of a great product that people want.
0: Definitely. Yeah, that, that continuous feedback loop, very valuable. Yes. So also in Build the Damn Thing, you talk about founders building their internal foundation to kind of prepare for their business and to prepare for what they're going to need to put into it. What does having a strong internal foundation entail? Uh, and why is that so important to have?
1: I think we've all been around leaders who did not have solid foundations, and did not know who they were and it was hell to be around them right it was really difficult yeah having a solid foundation and understanding who you are and what your strengths and weaknesses are is vitally important to be a good leader and as a ceo you are a leader as a ceo you are the center of your the will, which is your company and if you are broken the will can't turn mm-hmm. the will is just not going to work so you have to make sure that you have this foundation so that your company can do well. And then those who work for you, who look up to you, can also do well as well. One of the things that I talk about is really figuring out your core values, like who are you and what do you stand for? Yeah, And that's very, very important because you're going to be challenged as an entrepreneur. At some point, you're going to be asked to do something that you're going to be like, eh, I don't know about that, mm-hmm. right? And having the core values as this foundation allows you to decide when that line is being crossed or not. It allows you to make these decisions and it allows you to make them with conviction because it's not situational. You're not making this core value any time a different situation comes out. It's standard. So it gives you a lot more confidence in which to say no or even to say yes.
0: Mhm yeah definitely like that that getting centered so that when things try to knock you off center you have that anchor to pull you back yes definitely and it's interesting because i think we hear a lot about that in the context of relationships, right? Like mm-hmm. all over social media, you will see content all day long about like heal and love yourself so that someone else <laughs> can can love you or whatever. But I, I do think that applying kind of that concept to our business is really important as well, like getting right within ourselves so that it reflects in what's happening and what we're building and
1: businesses are relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have a relationship with your staff, yeah. with your customers, your clients, with your investors, with your partners, B- business is all about managing relationships. Mm-hmm. So that would make sense that sort of the, the Insta relationship, you know, <laughs> uh, therapist or TikTok relationship <laughs> therapist, a lot of those principles do apply yeah. to business and managing your company. Definitely. Definitely.
0: Something else that I'm thinking too, you know, as we see more women, people of color, other people getting to build and create businesses, I think a lot about not recreating or upholding behaviors that Mm -hmm. oppressors have done, you know, like Mm -hmm. even if Mm -hmm. we as women, if we as black women are running these businesses, if we're kind of running them mimicking what white men have been doing, is that any better just because we're the ones doing it, you
1: know? (laughs) Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, why are we doing what we're doing? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the the end goal and this concept? I mean, even in the way that I invest as a venture capitalist, which is completely not like how anybody else in venture invests, but it's, you know, I look at this, this approach of I make investments in things where I think everyone can win. Yeah. And everyone, meaning myself as an investor and my my investors, mm-hmm. the founder, but also the community, because I want to invest in things that are making our community better. I want to invest in things that are providing services to our community, I'm in positive services. Yes. And, and so that's the way in which I invest. That's not how anyone else invests. There's very few Black women general partners in general. So it's not like there's a lot of us out there investing but what's the point of being in this system if all you want to do is replicate the system? Yeah. And so, but it takes a lot of courage to sort of be out there like that. And and I don't necessarily think that it's right for everyone because of the amount of courage and because of the amount of attention that's focused on you when you do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's hard to break the mold too, because a lot of... Information out there about how you do things does kind of encourage people to replicate those old models. And so it kind of adds that that added yeah. layer to what we were, were talking about in the beginning of, of building things differently.
1: Well, it's white guys who are writing those. Mm-hmm. So they're telling you what they know yep. because they don't know what it's like to build a company as a non white guy. Yeah. They just <laughs> don't have any clue. So the advice they can give you is only from their perspective, which is incredibly privileged. Mm -hmm. And again, they're building in a system that was created for them to build in, right? It wasn't created for someone like me to build in. It wasn't even created for like women in general Mm -hmm. to build in. And so it makes it infinitely harder to compete because we have to do so much more extra work. But then also, again, they can write about it because they don't have to think of this other stuff. And so it's this whole piece missing, which is why I wrote Build a Damn Thing. It was a whole piece missing. Unlike, you know, I found myself an early part of my career when I was building what was going to be my second startup in 2009, like banging my head against the wall, because I would get this advice from white male mentors. I'm like, yeah, you can do that, but I can't. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't come in cocky and stuff like that, even if I'm the most brilliant person in the room, yeah. because it reads a certain way for me. You you have that space. You're given that latitude to do that. I'm not. And being very conscious of that has been really important for me in moving forward. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, at this point, you know, the industry, in order for us to change the industry, we're going to have to change the industry. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to stop waiting for permission and asking for permission. We haven't got it. Our parents didn't get it. Our grandparents didn't get it. Their parents didn't get it. So like maybe... We just start building and then they'll catch up later. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they won't. Who knows?
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I love that, though, about not not asking for permission and and getting to work and innovating in other ways.
1: Because we're not going to get it, yeah. right? We're, we're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get the permission. And many times we're not going to get the validation that we seek mm-hmm. from the entitled. Yeah. We're not going to get it. So the only thing we can do is continue to build s- exceptional companies ourselves yeah. and seek validation from our customers and our communities that use our products and less from these external
0: forces. Absolutely. And that's, that's the validation that really matters. Like, are the people that we're yeah. aiming to serve, are they being served by what we're doing? Yeah. yeah. So I'd love to talk uh, a bit about funding. You know, we've touched on it a little bit in terms of of capital. And, you know, when we talked about MVPs not using precious capital on things that are maybe not the right venture, you obviously have a lot of experience in this area now as a VC. According Mm -hmm. to Forbes, in 2021, Black founders received 1.9% of VC dollars awarded in the U.S. I'm not sure what that value is for 2022, but could probably assume that it's along similar lines. And I'd love to talk about maybe some of the pros and cons of taking outside funding for those of us who are builders and and looking for capital that way versus kind of the bootstrapping route and, you know, ways we can navigate deciding what form of capital is best for, for what we're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things is really important to understand the difference between a startup and a small business. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think a lot of people get confused. Yeah. Both are equally important. Both are equally important to particularly the global economy. A small business is exactly that. It's it's a business that may or may not want to scale. It's usually a business that's not looking necessarily for what we call in tech an exit, meaning they don't want to necessarily sell the business in a relatively short period of time, being in 10 years. And so that could be like your local bakery. It could be you know, your local accounting firm, the the McDonald's on the corner, all of those, McDonald's is a corporation, is a small business, but like the the owners who may own one or two franchise locations, those are small businesses and they're not necessarily looking at scaling out. A startup is created with the intention to exit. Mm-hmm. A startup begins with the idea that you're going to scale it as rapidly, as big as possible, and then you're going to have what we call a positive event. You're going to either exit and put your company on one of the stock exchanges, or you're going to grow it and get acquired by a larger company. Those are the two things that people really look for. And so in the startup world, you have to scale rapidly and there's going to be huge amounts of pressure on you to do so. And what I often see is like people think startup is a sexy word, but don't understand the requirements. And then they accept money from a VC mm-hmm. and they're like, why, yeah. what the hell happens? Like, that's because structurally, this VC needs you to scale rapidly. Yes. They don't care about you creating a legacy for your family. Yeah, They don't. Mm-hmm. There are ideas like, I have to get an exit like for this, this investment so I can prove to my investors that I'm a good investor. And whether your, your family or your friends or what, whatever legacy, that's, that's separate. You deal with that on, your, on the money that you get. Yeah. For my money, this is what I need. And I often see founders, particularly founders of color, not understand that. And as a result, get very, very frustrated, very, very mad at their investors, particularly if their investors are talking about replacing them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, for so many founders and I've I've worked at startups and I've worked for founders who have struggled with that very thing. Sometimes it's a tough pill to swallow to realize that like nobody is as close to your baby, your business baby in the Mm -hmm. way that you are. And that can be so, so hard to come to terms with.
1: Yeah. It's your baby. You understand yeah. it.
0: However, you know, as, as a mom, you got to let your kid go mm-hmm. out. Yeah.
1: You got to let them experience the world and trust that you trained them enough. You developed a good enough product. Yes. If I could call my son a product. <laughs> um, you developed a good enough product that it will survive in the larger world. Definitely. It will survive and it will grow. Yeah. Not even just survive, it will thrive. And, and the same with your business. You have to believe that you built a good enough product that you can put it out there for it to thrive. If you're not putting your idea out there, your company out there, then you can't call yourself a business. It's a hobby. Mm-hmm. Like And people need to understand the difference between that, too, a hobby and a business. A business is that you have to put it out there. A business is something that people are willing to pay a premium for, which is the cost it takes for your raw materials and for you to do it. Plus a percentage over that allows you to live and eat and be the the brains behind it. Your business needs to be be able to do that. And if it's not, it's not a business. Yeah. It's a hobby. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us have hobbies, not businesses. Yeah.
0: They're expensive hobbies. <laughs> Ex- expensive hobbies. In terms of time and money. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I really appreciate that distinction that you gave us about the differences between small business and and startup, and how understanding, you know, what it is we're doing, how that guides how we fund and, and go forth to determining what capital we need. So thank you for that. Yeah. So even though we're currently focused on business on the podcast, technically this is a wellness podcast. Although I do think that that wellness and business intersect in, in a lot of yeah. ways, which is what we're exploring in this series. But I would love to know if there have been any wellness practices that are in your personal toolbox uh, that have really helped you as a founder and as a builder.
1: Oh, there's so many.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: the biggest one is I swim. Mm. I swim a lot. I try to swim Some weeks I'm better than others, but I try to swim like a thousand yards, like at least three to four times a week. And it's something about swimming and being in the water that you can't overthink, which is great for someone like me who's Mm -hmm. always thinking all the time. Mm -hmm. And so that's a big one. I'm a big lover of spas. I will spa like no one's business. I love a good massage. I love a good facial. Mm -hmm. And especially when you work as hard as we all do to be able to treat yourself like that is really important. I also love to read. And so I'm reading, I read a lot of books. I have a whole bunch of books like on my book stand. And I like the books I've read, the books I'm like putting aside because I want to go back and read them again. The books I haven't read, I have this big stack of books. And in my um, Amazon, and when I can get to sort of the local independent bookstores here in Chicago, like I have like a list of books, mm-hmm. like at any time, like a, 10 books or stuff. So. And people are always referring books to me and then people are always sending books to me because they know how much of a bibliophile I am. Cause I like love it. So they're like, we're gonna send you this book, Catherine. I'm like, I can't, I'm like two months behind. Like, let me get a vacation so I can catch yeah. up. But I'm always reading. I love to read things that have nothing to do with business yes. at night. So I love like magical realism. So Isabella Allende or Gabriel Garcia Marquez, you know, like all these folks I love to read because it's so about like turn of the century Columbia. It's like so vastly different than where yes. i at, you know, in, in um, 2022 Chicago. <laughs> so an escapism that allows me to get out of my head. Mm-hmm. The good thing about it, which has been really interesting is as a result of it, I often get my best ideas yes. by shutting my mind off. So people think you have to always be in it. Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. you will find once you start to create a self-care practice while you're building your company, Taking breaks helps you to be a better CEO and it actually comes up with better ideas and new enthusiasm. Because the worst thing you can have is burnout. And then what happens is you start to resent your company. Yes, And you don't want that because you haven't been able to take care of you. So taking care of yourself and creating a self-care practice is vital to having a successful company.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's It relates so much to the kind of internal foundation conversation that we were having earlier. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I love that you mentioned knowing when to kind of balance the business books with the fun books and and the fiction and, yep. and getting lost in something else because it's so valuable. And I think when we only consume either business content, it also leaves very little yep. room for application if we're constantly consuming. Exactly. <laughs> And creativity yeah.
1: because a lot of my best ideas did not come from being in a business yeah. conference. They came from being out in the world mm-hmm. and seeing a problem, yes. right? Because we're citizens of the world and the best businesses solve a problem mm-hmm. that people have and they're willing to pay a premium yes. for, right? And so, and how do you know what problems they have if you're not in the world seeing and living like that? That's where you uncover problems and and, and possible solutions is from living. Yes. And so you have to get out there and, At the end of the day, particularly if you're building a startup, you're building it as a temporary organization. Like you're not building something that's going to be around for 30, 40 years. So at some point, the startup is going to end. And you still need to have the relationships with human relationships and people relationships um, that weren't a part of your entrepreneurial journey or your your company. You still need to be able to have those, Mm -hmm. right? And and you won't if you neglect them building a company.
0: 100%. Ah, oh, Catherine, this was so good. I feel like this conversation paired with the book is like business school accelerated. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> All of the information we need. <laughs> How can our audience keep in touch with you and continue supporting your work? Yeah, well, you
1: know, definitely buy the book. Yeah. Build a damn yes. thing. Available wherever books are sold. Also, you can listen to. We have a podcast called Build a Damn Thing. It's a narrative podcast. It's very much. It's like serial for entrepreneurships that's what i said to people and so it's not an interview format um but we talk with a lot of leaders about their story and kind of like how did they do what they did and so definitely would would say listen to there you can reach me on pretty much all the social media except i don't have tiktok which i need to get for no other reason than i have like a bazillion other ones but um (laughs) but instagram twitter linkedin Facebook, even like all these are ones that you can connect with me on. I'm Catherine Finney. If you Google it, I'm like the first Catherine Finney that comes up. And, and I'm the only black Catherine Finney, I think. So, <laughs> so that makes it even easier for everyone. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, and, and feel free to reach. out. I always love to hear how people are using the book. Um, and how the book has been able
0: to help them build their companies. It's one of my favorite things about writing the book. Amazing. Thank you so much. Well, we'll make sure we have the book, the podcast, and your socials linked in the show notes to make it really easy for folks to find. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. That is it for this week's episode of Balanced Black Girl. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Catherine Finney. Head to the show notes to learn more about Catherine, to check out her latest book, Build the Damn Thing, and to get special discount codes and offers from this week's sponsors. Next week, we are wrapping up the Black Women in Business series before we begin our year-end reflection on the show. So if you have not yet joined our community on Geneva, make sure you join us there so that you can hear all about our year-end reflection and just get extra content and community support to supplement your listening. So we'll have the link to join the community in the show notes. We'll be back next Tuesday, but in the meantime, you can keep in touch with us on our blog at balancedblackgirl.com, our newsletter, Mirror Notes, in the community, on Geneva, or on the socials. Talk to you next week.